Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Carrie. And we're Identical Twins. We are so excited to talk to you about all things related to church music here on Hymn Talk, Twin Talk. Now each week we will break down a hymn. It could be an old favorite or it could be one you've never heard of. But it is our prayer that you will worship with us no matter what song it is. So let's get started here on Hymn Talk, Twin Talk. Hi, everyone. Hi. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Our first episode after a big, long break. I know. I'm Kelly. I'm Carrie. And, and we're, we're Identical, identical twins. twins. We haven't said that in a while. We <laughs> What? We're Identical Twins? Yes. We, we do get used to saying it quite a lot on the podcast. We actually don't say it other times. No, we don't. <laughs> it's not like we walk around announcing it. People just look at us and they know, right? Right, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, so we're back. We're back. It is 2021. February 1st, 2021. So I love it. It's 2121. Yep. Right? Yep. And, and it's like January was like, it went by we so blinked. fast. We thought we were going to get ca- caught up on episodes yeah. and really get a whole bunch <laughs> stored up for you all. And, you know, we weren't quite as productive <laughs> as we wanted to be. But we we have some great shows coming up, we huh, do. Cal? We do. We do. And you know what? We have all of you to thank because you have been suggesting hymns for us. And, right. And even though we haven't had podcasts, it's been very busy for him, Talk Twin Talk. Yeah, so we got some attention in the news. <laughs> I mean, front page front of page. our paper. I mean, it's a little much. It was a slow news day. Clearly, there wasn't much happening in the Tribune that yeah. day. So yeah. um, we have our local paper here in town called the Andover Townsman. And mm. then we have the Eagle Tribune. And they did a story on Him Talk, Twin Talk. Mm. And the local composer, J.R. Murray, who wrote the music for Away in a Manger. Right. So we went to this historical home in Andover, and we got our picture taken, and um, I don't know, I hope a lot of people saw it. Hey, if you saw our picture in the paper and you are now listening to him talk, twin talk, (laughs) let us know. We are always looking for ways to connect with our listeners and communicate with them. So please find us on Twitter and Facebook. And our newly established Instagram account. Mm, Brand new. (laughs) Brand new. We've been wanting to do Instagram for months. But we want to find ways to connect with our listeners, and we want to make sure we're doing the hymns that you want. Right. So a bunch of people participated in our online quiz. That's right. Our trivia contest. (laughs) We have winners to announce. We have winners to announce. And part of the quiz was writing in suggestions. So people have told us which hymns... We should do next. Yep. And and we love it. We, we love, love it. it. Please let us know. You know, we talk about who our audience is. You know, who is really listening to Him Talk, Twin Talk. <laughs> and, you know, it's a small niche group, right? Yeah, I guess. But it's people who love hymns. Right. People who love hymns are, are passionate. So we love hearing your suggestions. Right. right. So before we get into today's hymn... Let's announce our winners. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so some people thought the quiz was too hard. (laughs) And some people thought it was too easy. Um, We tried to just give an assortment. It was all multiple choice. We have our five top winners. Are you ready to announce them? Yes. Okay, drum roll, please. Our winners are Tom, David, Ashley, Jill, and Linda. Thanks, you guys. You did our first ever Him Talk Twin Talk trivia contest. (laughs) 
All right. So now that our uh, the announcements of our winners are over, we can go to this week's hymn. An awesome hymn. An awesome hymn. Have you been following our social media? Do you know which one it is? Yeah. We've been giving out clues all week, mm-hmm. and I'm sure people know it. But it is such a beautiful hymn, a very emotional hymn. Mm-hmm. It's very uh, heartfelt and very personal. And when you learn more about it, it's going to increase your emotion. I mean, you are going to be, if you're like me, you're going to be a sobbing mess at the end. Right. (laughs) I mean, I can can remember singing this song at our church and looking out to the Mm -hmm. congregation Mm -hmm. and definitely seeing tears. And more than that, I can remember standing in worship and giving the story. Like this this is a a story I think that people might know already. Unlike a lot of our other hymns. Right. The the story is pretty well known. Um, All right. So hopefully we, we have some new information to provide too. Yeah. But yeah, the name of this week's hymn, it's such a good one, is It, it is, is Well With, with My Soul. My soul. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! We hope you're clapping right along. Yeah. It's a great hymn. Yeah, and you know, we learned back when we talked about Standing on the Promises yes. that it is probably not a hymn. It is a gospel song. Right. And back then we talked about Philip Bliss, who you know, wrote so many gospel songs. Mm-hmm. And he was the kind of the person who made the delineation and the distinction between him and gospel song. And he wrote the music He's to actually it as well. the writer. I know. Yeah, I yeah. love that. So and we love his name, Philip Paul Bliss. Right. So not only is he the first to sort of classify this new genre of music, mm-hmm. right? He's the first to do it. But he's also writing the mu- the actual music right. that fits the genre. I mean, right. he is doing and, it. And you can just tell that it's a gospel song. Mm-hmm. It is... Um, it has a refrain. The old-fashioned hymns mm-hmm. didn't have a refrain. The title is from the refrain, It Is Well. It most definitely is a gospel song, not a hymn. It was mm-hmm. used at these huge gatherings during the Great Awakening in the United States. And these gospel songs were new. They were easy to learn. Mm-hmm. They had expressive melodies. Definitely, this fits that category. And it, it was kind of a repetitive structure of verse and chorus. They were supposed to be songs that you could easily sing and easily relate to. So we think that you all know this song. Yeah. Um, well. And we're going to be singing it and playing it. You'll be hearing it. Um, but what if we just kind of sing this refrain okay. for people to hear? Yeah. Um, talk about an easy refrain. It is literally just the words of the title. It mm. is well with my soul. So sing along with us. It is well. It is well. With my soul. With my soul. It is well. It is well. With my soul. I mean, I think everybody knows that refrain. I know. It's very simple. If you're singing the melody, you do have these kind of long notes that you have to be prepared to hold out. Mm -hmm. But really, it's not that hard. And when we sing it at our church, we oftentimes do that last refrain a cappella. Mm-hmm. So we really get to hear all the parts and all the voices. It sounds so nice. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and if you can hear this in four-part harmony, it's amazing. Right. Yeah. Right. I We think that it is very well known. Yeah. Maybe there's someone listening who's never heard of it. Right. Who knows? But it is found in 473 hymnals. So okay. that's a pretty high number. Yeah. And it was written by Horatio 
Spafford. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he, we want to say Spafford, but it's we do. Spafford. It's Spafford. He did the words. He wrote he it as a words. poem. And then Philip uh, Bliss, who we just talked Philip about, Bliss. wrote the music. And they were friends, yep. which is interesting. And there is a famous story about the song with Horatio Spafford. So let's hear it. Let's hear the story about Horatio Spafford. Yeah, so Horatio Spafford had four daughters. They were living in Chicago at the time. We're going to get more into his life a little bit later on on the podcast. But the story, you know, that really inspired this hymn, <laughs> we call that Hymnspiration. Hymnspiration. Uh, really, it's a tragic story. Yeah. It's not something that even that like pretty harp music I kind know. of even goes with. I know. It's a real tragedy that um, Spafford and his wife had to endure. Mm. So they had made plans to travel overseas. Um, they were actually going to Dwight Moody's revival services in England, and they were going to have a little vacation in France. And the the wife, Anna, had been sick, so they thought this would be really good for her to have a little vacation and be able to attend these services. And at the last minute, there were some last-minute business issues, and Horatio Spafford felt like he couldn't leave. So he booked the boat tickets for his wife and the four daughters, and they left, and he was supposed to just be a few days behind them. They were going to get a head start while he finished his business. So this is November 22nd, 1873, and and they were on the boat called the V Duav, and somewhere in the Atlantic, this their ship collided with a British ship which was coming the other way, and the ship sank in about 12 minutes. Right. They hit this iron cargo vessel ship called the Lochern, and literally the ship that the family was on was broken in two. Mm-hmm. Anna woke up her daughters. She ran to the berth. She was told the ship would soon sink. She knelt down immediately and prayed that God would save them or just make them willing to die. The ship sank in the deep, murky waters of the Atlantic, and 226 souls were lost that night. Now, Anna was found still alive, clinging to a piece of the wreckage. She was found later on by a sailor. Nine days later, she arrived in Wales and sent this telegram to her husband. It's kind of a famous telegram. Right. I've seen a picture of it. Right. And in, in the telegram were the words, Saved alone, what shall I do? She said later to a friend, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. Mm. Horatio immediately left Chicago to meet her in Liverpool. During the Atlantic crossing, the captain showed him the spot where the ship had sunk, where the daughters had perished. Um, But remember, they were supposed to be going to the United Kingdom to to these revival meetings. Dwight Moody and Ira Sankey were leading these meetings. And Ira Sankey immediately left Edinburgh to go and visit the grieved parents. And he said that when he went to meet them, they said to him, it is well, the will of God be done. Mm. Yeah. Their faith was so strong. And you can see how this song was definitely inspired by that incident, but especially verse one. I know. Verse one, it almost becomes autobiographical, right, doesn't it? Right. Why don't you read? Okay. Do you want to read all the verses and I'll play the piano? Sure. Okay. Verse one. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate 
and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. Amazing words. Mm -hmm. Amazing words. Now, you found other words. You we found did. other lyrics? We did find other lyrics, and I thought it might be fun to maybe hear these verses Okay. Because they won't be sung in the end with the, ver with the whole hymn. Right. Well, and now, 473 hymnals, I have never seen any, no. anything else but the four verses that you just read. Mm -hmm. So how many verses are there? So it looks like there's three additional verses that don't appear in our hymnal. I mean, he wrote so many. I, and I know that there's some discrepancy as to when he wrote it. Right. But it, it's almost believable that he wrote maybe a little bit on the ship that night. Right. But he didn't, like, then, finish it until a few li years later when Ira Sankey was visiting him Right. And maybe he, like, Chicago. added more, you know? I, know? I mean, especially the verse about the about the end of life and the trumping, trumpet right. resounding. That could have been something that he wrote later. Right. Just as giving him a little a little more time to breathe. And, yeah. Yeah. All right. So here okay. is the first there's the three three new, new verses, verses. <laughs> heard for the first time <laughs> on him talk to him talk. Probably. All right. All right. Now Lord make it thee for thy servant to live. If I die when the summons shall toll, it, it will bring me no pain, for in death as in life thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. For me be Christ, be it Christ, hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine, for in death as in life thou wilt whisper thy peace. To my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice. like that last verse. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. Yeah. And we hear the trump of the angel and we hear the voice of the Lord. Right. Blessed and hope. That's the blessed hope that we take with us throughout this whole life on earth. Right. Amazing. 
It reminds me so much of Fanny Crosby and Blessed Assurance. We talked about that. We also have some inspiration (laughs) from someone else. Oh. Yes. So in one of the articles that I read, it absolutely said that Spafford was giving us words of comfort and assurance Mm -hmm. in times of physical and spiritual crisis, and he was paraphrasing those familiar words of Julian of Norwich, and all shall be well... And all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Okay, I don't know who Julian of Norwich is. I know, I had to look up. I had to look up Julian of Norwich. I feel like I want to do... What's that? (laughs) We need a who's that. (laughs) So I don't know if people know Julian of Norwich. She's also called Juliana. Oh. She lived in the late 1300s. Okay. And she's a celebrated mystic. So mystics were religious people that kind of really went into the more, you know, spiritual and mystical side. You know, and and maybe it sounds a little off-putting, but it really could have been just deep prayer. Okay. It could have been deep meditation. right. Anything like that. But it was about people who were having visions. So she is Julian of Norwich. She was a recluse at St. Julian's Church. She lived isolated in a cell. Was she a saint? She she never became a saint, but there is like an unofficial holy day for her in May. But she never became a saint. And she was very, very ill. And while she was ill, she prayed to God for visions. And she had... 16 visions of the time that she was sick and then she was miraculously healed and then she wrote all about her visions um, in a book called Revelations of Divine Love Revelations of Divine Love and it's all about the revelations that she had when she was sick and it is the oldest book written by a woman in English that we have wow yeah so so what are the words that we think maybe inspired uh, Spafford well There's quite a bit, actually. And and when I went and dug a little deeper into her writings, there was a lot that kind of made me think of it as well. And it kind of makes me think that maybe Horatio, you know, was studied her because there's a lot of similarities. So the first one, and all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Mm -hmm. Now, there's other things that she said. He said not Thou shalt not be tempested, thou shalt not be travailed, thou shalt not be diseased. But he said, thou shalt not be overcome. Wow. I mean, isn't that beautiful? Well, actually, we're going to find out later in life that he was he was in a group of, with a group of people and they called themselves the overcomers mm. because they everybody in the group had overcome such tragedy in their life. Okay. I mean, that's I, another like huge connection. Huge connection. Here's another quote. I mean, I think they're beautiful. This, again, is from Julian of Norwich's Revelations of Divine Love. Mm-hmm. Our falling is frightful. Our falling is shameful. And mm. our dying is sorrowful. But still, in all this, the sweet eye of pity and of love never departs from us, and the working of mercy ceases not. I mean, the working of mercy ceases not, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Right, there it is. It's gone. Right. And then finally she says, but in God there may be no wrath as to my sight. For our good Lord endlessly hath regard to his own worship and to the profit of all that shall be saved. Wow. Yeah. So, and then when I dug even deeper into this Julian, she was living during the Hundred Years' War in a famine. But bubonic plague was everywhere. 
And she looked at the suffering around her and didn't see the punishment of God. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of religious people say God's angry. Mm-hmm. But instead, she saw the love of God extending into every nook and cranny to meet and find us. And for her, nothing demonstrated this more for her than the example of Jesus himself. Just as we suffered, so did Jesus. God does not stay above the fray. He enters into our suffering in solidarity. And I mean, Horatio lived in his time of grief, but Mm -hmm. we right now are living in this time of grief. Right. So that was a little dig into history for our hymnspiration. Of course, mm-hmm. there's this hymnspiration because he's it's autobiographical. He's right. telling his story. But there's also stuff from the Bible. Of course there well, is. What does the Bible say? <laughs> All right. So what did you find? Oh, there's, there's so much of this that's from the Bible. But something that I thought was really neat was this image of peace like a river. Oh, okay. Um, because I don't know if people think of like this river that's kind mm-hmm. of babbling. Was that what peace is like? And so I kind of wanted to see where that was. Okay. And you found it in the Bible? Yeah. It's the first line of the text in Isaiah 66, 12. Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. Mm. I don't know. For some reason, I'm thinking peace is like quiet and nothing really happening. Right. right. But this is a river. This is a river and waters overflowing Mm -hmm. because it's outpouring of of his peace. And I love that. So, I mean, even though that was definitely something that he experienced, the ocean, the sea billowing, peace like a river is a phrase that came right from the Bible. Right. And also, you know, this main part of the refrain, it is well with my soul, it is well. Right. You know, it brought me right to 2 Kings. So there's the story of the Shunammite woman who Mm -hmm. lost her son. Her son is now dead. She is going to go see the prophet Elisha. And... Her husband says to him, her, like, why are you doing this? Right. Like, you're getting your donkey. You're going to see the prophet. Why? Why now? Why now? And she just simply says, all is well. And this is a woman who's grieving. Right. And I think that she says, all is well, because she is thinking that everything will be okay. Right. Um, you know, her faith, her hope for the future, she was able to just rest easy knowing that somehow – um, going to see the prophet, for her faith in God, everything would be okay. And she said, all is well. And this is a woman who's lost her son. Mm. And I feel like this had to have been a part of Spafford's writing because he, of course, had lost his daughters. Mm. So there's nothing, nothing that compares to the grief of a parent. So I think he related to this woman and using her words, all is well. All is well. Makes yeah. sense. Okay. So can we learn a little bit more about this Horatio Spafford? Sure. Because what a fascinating man. He was born on October 20th, 1828 in Troy, New York. Now, later he moved to Chicago, and that's really where he established his business, his family. So he was very smart. He was a very successful lawyer, um, and his specialty was medical jurisprudence. Okay. He also taught medical jurisprudence at Lind University, mm-hmm. which then became Chicago Medical College. He was very well off. In By 1870, he was a, the senior law partner in the law firm Spafford, McDade, and Wilson. Wow. And I actually found the business card <laughs> of the law firm Spafford, McDade, and Wilson. Nice. The Spaffords were well-to-do. Their real estate was valued at $38,000 U.S. dollars in 1870, and they had a French government named Emma LaRue. And 
I love the story of how he met his wife. Okay. So he was in Chicago teaching Sunday school, and she was in his class. Oh, great. And he was immediately <laughs> attracted to her and captivated by her. Her She was from Norway. She um, came to America when she was four years old. And when he realized that she was 14 years younger than him, oh. she was only 15 at the time, he actually arranged for three years payment of the tuition at a boarding school near Chicago. <laughs> and then um, he was able to get married to her afterwards when she graduated in 1861. <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So I the, hope she loved him, too. <laughs> I think so. I think so. So they were able to invest in all of this real estate mm. in the north side of Chicago. And, and they were, like I said, they were very well off. Mm. Now, on October 8th, 1871, we have the huge Chicago fire. I mean, this was huge. The Basically, these wooden buildings went up in like seconds. There was no way to even put out the fire. The winds from Lake Michigan just made it spread. It was a huge disaster. 300 people died. 100,000 oh. people were homeless. And there was $200 million worth of property destroyed. Oh. So this was all of his real estate. All of his investments just went up in flame. This was like the first huge tragedy in Spafford's life. Mm. So that was in 1871. Right. And then in 1873, they planned the trip to Europe. Yeah. So, I mean, in a very short span of time, he, has see- he is seeing all of his earthly possessions gone and then his family right. gone. Um, on that boat in 1873, the four daughters were Anna, Maggie Lee, Elizabeth, and Tanetta. They mm. ranged in age from 2 to 11. Oh. And, of course, they all they all died. Now, oh, in my head, I pictured them older. Oh, no, a two-year-old. A two-year-old. Yeah, there's an account that, that she was, like, holding on to the two-year-old, you know, for dear life until her strength gave out. Mm. Yeah. So, of course, um, they end up back in Chicago, and they have uh, more children. So in 1875, they have a son. Um, Their first son, so they name him Horatio Gates Spafford II. (laughs) But before he turned five, he died of scarlet fever. Oh, my gosh. These poor people. Right. So this is just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Now, in 1878 and 1881, he has two more daughters, Bertha and Grace. At this time, he becomes sort of obsessed with the second coming. And he's really, like, doing this research and digging deep into the Bible. He's actually trying to set the date for it. He just thought about it all the time and believed that if Jesus was going to come back soon, he should be in Jerusalem. So this whole group of people left with Spafford in August of 1881 with their newborn baby Grace to go and live in Jerusalem. Um, and they they lived, they agreed to live communally. And it was wow. called the American Colony. And they did a lot of good for the t- in that time. At the end of his life, unfortunately, he had malaria and there was some Ugh. delirium. And he actually started preaching that he was the Messiah. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, a rough end of life. But um, he died. He is buried in Jerusalem. Oh, he is? And oh his wife stayed at the colony and really became like the leader of the colony. Right, right. Like I said, they lived communally. So they actually didn't believe in marriage. Mm. Um, they believed that whatever relationship you could have, like here on earth, 
you, you could prioritize it over God, your relationship with God. Right. So they didn't believe in marriage. They were they led completely celibate lives. And then were when, anyone having children? No. But then eventually the daughter Bertha in 1906 wanted to get married mm. and wanted to you know so they actually changed their views on marriage at wow. that point. Wow. Um, but the American colony where they lived is like a beautiful hotel in Jerusalem that we could actually go in and stay in. Yeah, it looks beautiful online. Wow. And Bertha actually started, and it's still there, the first children's hospital outside um, of the of Jerusalem. There was not a hospital for children. Wow. Um, in 1925, they started it. So it's called the Spafford Children's Center. It's still there today. Oh, that's so great. I, it, it's moved on to like more preventative medicine and right. outpatient clinic. And today the center provides women's empowerment workshops for mothers, as mm. well as psychosocial, educational, therapeutic, and cultural programs for children and in, in, in youth in East Jerusalem mm. and the Old City. And mm. it still bears their name. That's amazing. Like his music still lives on. Right. Her hospital still lives right. on. These people do make such differences that in people's lives like hundreds of years later right far reaching yeah. too we're in Jerusalem and there, we can share the the information yeah. on yeah. our social media but there's even ways to like donate to this to this clinic um, the Spafford Children's Center. Nice. Um, it was amazing reading about them and how about just uprooting your whole life I know. and moving to Jerusalem um, they just were so passionate about living right there in right. you know the holy city. I have heard of that. I mm. have heard of people wanting to be in the holy land right. for when Jesus comes, you know. Yeah. yeah. So that's a lot of information about Horatio and yeah. he was kind of an amazing man and he definitely, you know, overcame the trials in his life mm-hmm. and did some amazing things. Um but I want to look at his friend's life. Okay. This Who- is so interesting. His friend is Philip, Philip Paul Bliss. Bliss. And he he was this famous Christian songwriter. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I read is that he's second only to Fanny Crosby. Wow. I know. But he wrote lots of publications of gospel songs. He coined the phrase gospel right, song, which we right. talked about earlier. Um, they called him the Charles Wesley of the 19th century. Wow. I know. And we have a bunch of his hymns in our hymnal. We do. But one of his most famous ones is called Almost Persuaded. And it is said to have brought far more souls to Jesus Christ than any other song ever composed. Okay, I've, I don't feel and like we don't I've even ever know. heard it. <laughs> Almost persuaded. persuaded. And wouldn't it be like totally persuaded <laughs> if you're really like winning souls for right. Christ? Almost. Almost, scary. Uh. <laughs> All right, so a little information about Philip Paul Bliss. He was born in Rome, Pennsylvania, <laughs> July 9th, 1838, and he died in Ashtabula, Ohio, in 1876. And if you're quickly doing the math, he died when he was only 38. So he has this tragic story that maybe influenced Horatio as well. So a little bit of his background. Unlike Horatio, he was very, very poor. They had nothing in the house, but his parents were very religious. They read the Bible and they sang songs all the time. But he was working constantly working in the farm and one of his jobs was to go out into the town Mm -hmm. because they lived in the outskirts to go and sell the vegetables into town and the story is that he was 10 years old he's out in the city he hears a piano he had never seen or heard a piano in his life he goes into the house (laughs) the woman is playing at the piano a beautiful home and she's playing 
And she stops and he says, you know, please play some more. Can you please play some more? And of course she like freaks out and she, she called him up, you know, get your sh dirty shoeless feet out of my house because Aww. he was probably so dirty. He didn't even wear shoes. He probably had clothes that didn't fit. Um, but he was so, so drawn to music. And honestly, he ended up leaving house his house at that point um, to try to make it on his own. I mean, he was he was 10. Wow. He was 10. And they said that he packed up packed up a little bag and he went out. And so he was just trying to make money and live. He was trying to work in farms. He was trying to work in lumber camps, still trying to go to school. Wow. And he was converted at a revival meeting at age 12. Oh. Yep. And so then he started to do music. He became an itinerant music teacher. And he would make house calls on horseback to wow. go to people's houses to teach them. And what he would do is he would do that in the fall, and in the summer, he would go to school. And I thought this was so interesting, Carrie. He went to the Normal Academy of Music in Genesco, New York, uh -huh. which was created by George Root, William Bradbury, and Lowell Mason. Wow. And when they were done in New York and they wanted to relocate, where, where did, did they, think go? they went? Yeah. North Reading. Yeah. So we talked about George. We've talked about George Root quite yes, a bit. We have Lo and Lowell Mason. And Lowell Mason was just one of our last Christmas mm -hmm. songs for Joy to the World. Yes. So he studied at their school, um, and he would be going to. The story is that he would be going to Moody's revival meetings, uh -huh. and at one of those meetings, the song leader was absent. I mean, isn't this like every musician's dream? Right, right, right. You know? I can fill in. Yeah. I, well, he didn't fill in. He just sang. He just sang heartily. And Moody said to him at the end, um, that he had a, a great voice and that he should be singing. And so he moved to Chicago to, to work with Moody and be part of that team. Mm. And doing that gave him the ability to write so many more songs. Right. He was writing songs before that, but that just kind of gave him the time. Right. And so, I mean, he wrote this Almost Persuaded. He wrote Hallelujah, What a Savior. That's a great song. Yes. I mean, I feel like we sing that. We do. Uh, like, I, I at do. Easter? Monday, Thursday-ish. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He wrote Jesus Loves Even Me. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And he wrote so many others that, like, you know, I can't even name. Okay. I can't even name. Those okay. are the most um, the most popular ones. And uh, they, they also called him the father of youth ministry. He worked oh. so well with children, and he actually wrote an article called How Should Children Sing? Nice. Yep. And he actually admonished older people in the church for, like, quenching the spirit of the youth. Oh. Yep. And and so he was, I think in that way, he was a little bit ahead of his time. Right. Yep. And I imagine you know, maybe that stemmed a little bit from his own childhood, feeling maybe. like nobody looked at him with love, nobody took him seriously, mm. they shoot him away, mm. I don't know. And here we are talking about how he died, which is yet mm -hmm. another tragedy. I mean, we've talked about the ocean, the boat crash on the ocean. Mm -hmm. We talked about the Chicago fire. Yeah. And this is a very famous event. It's called the Estabula Horror. Right. So this is in this place called Estabula in Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. So he was on a train and he was traveling back to Chicago right. to do the to do more services at Moody's Tabernacle. And it was a trestle bridge. It was right. like a wooden bridge over a ravine. Eleven of the rail cars plunged seventy Ugh. feet down into the watery ravine. And even before the wooden car slammed into the bottom, they were all set on fire by kerosene heaters. Of the 159 passengers, 92 were killed, and the rest suffered horrible injuries. This happened on December 29th, 1876. I mean, the anniversary of it was, you know, not too yeah. long ago. Yeah. 
Um, and this was, it was a 70 feet deep gorge. It was a blizzard. And it was, it blew up in flames. Yes. It was completely on fire. Now, I read of an account that Bliss actually survived the initial crash mm -hmm. and was trying to pull his wife Lucy out of the wreckage. And he couldn't save he couldn't, her. Yeah. But he bravely remained at her side. Um, in 1877, an eyewitness wrote that uh, Bliss would not escape by deserting his noble wife, and they both went home together in a baptism of fire. Yeah. So, I mean, and this and it, this thing is just, it's full of, of tragedy. That's why they call it the horror. Yeah. The, um, the railroad magnate Cornelius Vanderbilt, it's said that he died from shock when he heard. <gasps> the bridge designer, the one who designed that very bridge, later committed suicide. The railroad's chief engineer was murdered. And Ashtabula became the shunned town. Its growth stunted, and homeowners and businesses just would go right past it to go to the better, bigger city of Cleveland. Mm. You know, but they have three plaques that kind of commemorate what happened. Okay. It, there's a plaque that's right near the crash scene. There's an obelisk in the cemetery, and there's an mm. auto memorial outside of the hospital. So Philip Bliss. Um, and his wife died. They left two sons, George and Philip. They were only ages four and one. I mean, they were little. And Moody, of course, was devastated. He said, in my estimate, he was the most highly honored of God of any man of his time wow. as a writer and singer of gospel songs. I loved him as a brother and shall cherish his memory. So I looked up on July 10th, 1877, they erected a monument to him in Rome, Pennsylvania, so okay. where he grew, where he was yeah, born, yeah. where he was born. And 10,000 people attended this. Yeah. And at that ceremony, um, Dwight Moody and Ira Sankey both spoke. Mm -hmm. They both spoke about Philip Bliss and his wife. And the obelisk is beautiful, and there's stuff oh. written on all sides. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of it. We can show you pictures on our social media. But one of the interesting scripture verses that they chose to add was 2 Samuel one thirty four. Okay. So, and I, I really needed to look this up and see it. It's lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. Mm -hmm. So this is the man who wrote the music, who took mm -hmm. the, the words that Spafford wrote about his tragedy and then wrote this beautiful music to right. go with it. And amazingly, in this town of Rome, Pennsylvania, where you can see this monument, yeah. they have the Philip P. Bliss Gospel Songwriters Museum. Okay. <laughs> I want to go. I know. I want to go, too. In Rome, it's Pennsylvania? literally about him, Philip P. Bliss Gospel Songwriters Museum. I mean, it is housed in the home that Bliss bought in Rome, Pennsylvania. I don't think out of all the hymn writers we've done, we've had a museum. <laughs> I know. That's amazing. The museum has on exhibition many items that belong to the Bliss family, Aww. along with copies of almost all his published music. The kind of cool thing about his published music is that they're all in the public domain, right. so you could go anywhere just to get his music. Right. Yeah. Weirdly, this little town of Rome had quite a few gospel songwriters. Nice. I know. He wasn't the only one. So there was James McRanahan, Daniel B. Towner. We probably will be learning and talking about I'm sure. both of those. Yep. But the cool thing about James McRanahan is... That when the train crashed and they were able to go through the wreckage and find things, they actually oh. found Philip's um, luggage. And in his luggage was the text, I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me on the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. 
And that was that's the hymn that we know today. Right. I will sing of my redeemer. That's a great hymn. And James McGranaham, the other gospel songwriter that lived in Rome, Pennsylvania, wrote the music after well Philip after he died. died. Yeah, wow. and that's it's a, it's in our hymnal. You can see it with the two names. Right. It's a great hymn. Yeah. We we have to do that one. We should do that. Yeah. Well, there's the story about how it was written. We just told you. <laughs> well, that's there'll be more information. Yeah. So what makes a song like last so long? Is it just the words that really people can relate to. It's, I mean, the words are kind of old-fashioned. They you are. know, it's when peace like a river attendeth. We don't use the ETHs anymore, you know. Um, whatever my lot thou hast taught. I, well, you know, a lot of times with these old hymns, they are kind of modernizing it. They, they are. are giving but it's, us. it's not in ours. But they really haven't done it with no. this one. So I think that a song lasts long. Um, when the words are really relevant, mm-hmm, and this mm-hmm. obviously is, and when the music is pretty singable. Mm-hmm. It's something that we can sing now with our voices of 2020, and we, right. c- we could have sung it 100 years and ago. And the range isn't huge. Right. right. It's, and it's simple. And that's an, another reason why these gospel songs, you know, they they, they that, can stand the test right. of time. That was the whole point. Yeah. So one of the things that I read, I, do, are you ready for a little musical nerd moment? Always fun. <laughs> Always ready for those. Yeah. Something that Philip Bliss did was he wrote the soprano line, the melody, in a contrary motion with the bass line. Okay. And that wasn't something that happened a lot. And I thought that was really interesting. So, you know, if the soprano line, if the melody is going down, then the bass line would go up. Mm -hmm. And I thought we could just demonstrate that for them. Sure. So we're really looking for Kelly singing this bass line. (laughs) And you will be moving in a contrary motion to my... um, Melody. Melody. Melody, but there's some contrary, but there's also some oblique, where where one of us just stays the same right. and the other one moves. I mean that <laughs> that definitely happens in the refrain. Yes, yeah, and I see it. I see it yeah. quite a bit. So we're looking for this contrary and oblique motion, which apparently wasn't that common back then. Right. All right, good okay. for you, Philip Bliss. Here we go. <laughs> when peace like a river attendeth. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Where are the altos in our group? Because they would love that bass part. <laughs> I'm, Kelly just wishes she were a bass. I wish I were a bass. I mean, that would be an octave even lower. So, I know, I, mean, I know. Yeah. She's singing it in her octave. Yeah. I mean, it's a great bass line. And when you really take out the, you know, the alto and the tenor and you just segregate right. those two parts, right. they do sound really cool together. I know, I know. And it's fun when they're they're on the same note. They're, right. you know, they octave apart. Um, but then if it was a man's voice, it would be like two octaves apart. I mean... It's probably time to listen to the song. I know. Now, we've sung a ton, so I'm so excited. We have a different performance to share with you today. It Is Well With My Soul, sung by a woman named Gisela Bullock. Right. And we reached out to her because we wanted to ask permission to share. And we got to know them a little bit. It's a husband and wife team. Yes. 
It's a fourth generation preaching and singing ministry. Mm -hmm. They're called Devoted Ministry. Right. And they're located in Central Florida. But people can visit them on YouTube and see them anytime they want. Right. And I hope you do. One of the cool things about it, once we started emailing them and talking with them, is that uh, Gisela, the wife, is an identical Identical twin. twin. And so we could connect over that. And it's so funny. On her website, where you're getting to know them. She, She has this, you know, what are her interests and what are her hobbies? And, like, one of her hobbies is hanging out with her twin sister. <laughs> so it's, like, spending time with her. And I am I can totally relate. I know. But I don't even know if I would put that as a hobby. It would just be, like, obviously I can't spend time with my sister. Well, you just must think, okay, I want to put the things that I enjoy. So what are the things I enjoy? <laughs> yeah. So so anyways, we met them. They were so gracious to let us uh, share their recording. And we really hope you guys check out this DevotedMinistries.com. Yeah. And Gisela has a beautiful voice. Yes. All right. So here they are, Devoted ministry it is well with my soul when peace like a river attended my way when sorrows like sea billows Whatever, my Lord, thou hast told me. 
It is well with my soul. Oh, that song was so pretty. So great. Thank you, Gisela. We loved hearing you sing. We just thought that we would share a message of hope for you. This is from Psalm 9. The psalm writer was living in a time of despair. His enemies were attacking him, and he put his hope and faith in the Lord. So this is Psalm 9. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord, enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. So not only is that reminding us that God is our hope, our stronghold, our refuge, but we are to sing his praises. Mm -hmm. So we really hope that you guys sing along with us because that's really what this is all about, singing and worshiping our God. Yeah. And hopefully it gave you a little bit of comfort, a little bit of hope for for that is something we all really need, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for staying with us. Thank you for starting your 2021 with us. Yes. (laughs) Yes. We will see you next time Mm -hmm. on Him Talk, Talk, Twin Talk. Talk.